0: The U.S. is on the brink of a global trade war. Does the general know what he's doing? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's a challenge just to keep up with the flurry of punitive actions being announced by President Trump against U.S. trading partners, let alone their threats of retaliation in kind. In recent weeks, we've seen trade tensions erupt between the U.S. and Canada, Mexico, China, and Europe. Billions of dollars' worth of international goods are at stake. We're either in a full-scale trade war or about to enter one. So what's going on? Today, we'll get a bird's eye view of this hazardous landscape from attorney William Perry of harris Bricken. He returns to the program to help us sort through the major issues that are threatening to disrupt, if not disassemble, the global trading system. We'll talk about NAFTA, steel, aluminum, autos, agricultural goods, and other products that are in President Trump's crosshairs. And we'll explore the central question that has everyone in the trading community on edge. Is there method to his madness? So here is my conversation with William Perry. William Perry, great to have you back on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. very interesting time.
0: (laughs) To say the least, we are going to try to get our arms around in a very short time a very complex subject here, and that is all of the fronts on which this incipient trade war is being waged by the United States and the Trump administration. Help me to understand, kind of sketch out what are the different aspects of this, the various sections and the different places on which action is now occurring on an international stage.
1: The last newsletter I sent out was in April, and I frankly have been so confused i haven't been able to write one because there's so many fronts now in this trade war that started it's a very complicated situation and it's extremely messy and what you have is let's stay with about four or five different points the first one is not the three-oh-one it's the section two thirty two national steel security cases against steel and aluminum imports the u.s. announced that they're opposing a duty of twenty five percent on steel 10% on aluminum. In early March, when I went to Europe, it looked like everything was going to be settled by negotiations. And then basically Mexico, Canada, and EC were temporarily exempted. But now those duties are going into place because no deal was made. Some countries got out like Argentina and a couple others who did do deals. Australia's out. But most countries are covered. And so they're issuing retaliation now. And those retaliations are in place right now against a whole scope of different products in the United States. Then the next one that's threatened, which is massive, is the Section 301 on intellectual property rights against China. And basically the United States is alleging through Section 301 that the Chinese government has systematically, through its companies, stolen U.S. high-tech technology. By requiring joint ventures with Chinese companies, and those joint ventures, in turn, the Chinese companies require the U.S. to hand over technology, et cetera. And the United States is now saying that on July 6th, they're going to impose tariffs of about $50 billion on Chinese imports. The Chinese have responded. Two retaliation lists are going to be issued. The first retaliation list is about, I think, Thirty-six billion, and then there's another fourteen billion to come in another round. That's from the U.S. side. The Chinese have come up with two lists again for fifty billion aimed at U.S. exports to China. As a result of that, Trump, because of the proposed retaliation, has asked the U.S.T.R. to come up with another round of tariffs on Chinese products, totaling uh, close to two hundred billion. By the point that would cover, be like $250 billion. that's much higher than U.S. total exports to China. And then the other thing going on throughout all of this is the NAFTA negotiations, the negotiations on the North American Free Trade Agreement with Mexico and Canada. They are still going on, even though, as you may remember, there was a huge dust-up in the G7, and especially a big fight between Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada and President Trump over trade. But they're still negotiating under NAFTA. It's still going forward, but there are a lot of problems in those negotiations.
0: It looked like they were going along okay until Vice President Pence informed Canada that they wanted a five-year sunset provision in the new NAFTA, right?
1: Yeah, the sunset provision is one of the issues. But what was the big dust-up at the G7, I think Canada made a tactical mistake here because the person who was involved in the negotiations was Larry Kudlow. And Larry Kudlow is a free-trader guy. He used to be in Squawk Box and MSNBC all the time, and he's originally from the Reagan administration. He's not the real protectionist like Peter Navarro or Lighthizer or even Wilbur Ross. He's much more free trade. And his discussion of it, hey, the negotiations were going along, everything was in, we were coming to agreement, we looked like we were going to work work out stuff on the Section 232 on steel and aluminum, and even the NAFTA, we're having good conversations. And as soon as Trump got on a plane and left for Korea to do his negotiations with Korea and, and Singapore, Trudeau got up and held a press conference and pounded Trump. Well, Trump just said he gave a speech yesterday in South Carolina and says Prime Minister Trudeau didn't realize that on Air Force One, whatever it is, Uh, we got on our plane, we got TVs all over the place. So as soon as he saw it in the air, he immediately announced to his group, don't sign the communique, the G7 agreement. And Investors, Business Daily, a very free trade newspaper came out in favor of what Trump did, which is unusual. Mm -hmm. So you've got huge fights in NAFTA. There's also another thing going on. In fact, two more things, huge dust-up over ZTE, And ZTE is a Chinese company which sells cell phones, et cetera, and is very reliant on U.S. technology. And over a year ago, the Commerce Department caught ZTE, I'm sorry, with its pants down, internal documents from ZTE showing that they were trying to avoid U.S. export controls and shipping products to Iran. Now, that's a big no-no, especially since U.S. products were being exported to China from Qualcomm, in other words, semiconductor chips and high-tech stuff to go into those cell phones. So the United States a year ago said, okay, ZTE, we're cutting you off. No more products of the United States can be shipped there. ZTE panicked, and they did a settlement last year. Well, about two months ago, all of a sudden, commerce said, well, you violated your settlement. Yeah, you decided you would de- reduce the salaries, but you didn't reduce the salaries of these guys over here were to do that you violated your settlement We're reimposing the ban on shipments to ZTE that caused ZTE to lose about 70,000 jobs in China wow. President Xi Jinping asked Trump please help us on this and Trump was trying to find a way around it and commerce has come up with a proposed settlement which would include Commerce Department staffers who speak Chinese to be literally housed at ZTE in China to make sure they comply with the settlement agreement but the Congress has gone crazy Because they say, don't let off ZTE, off this export control stuff. And Tom Cotton, Senator Cotton from, I think it's Arkansas, but he's one of the ones leading the charge, and it's in the defense bill, that basically the the Senate bill that was passed, doing away with the settlement agreement. So this is a real problem. One last point, (laughs) and you've got the Section 201 on solar, and that's creating problems all over the world. We've got guys looking to try to get exclusions to get out of that. So there are so many cases going on, but more importantly, so many big, big trade actions. It's a true mess right now.
0: I'm wondering what the precedent is whether the administration can get away with all of these impositions of duties and taxes given the fact that supposedly the levying of duties and tariffs is exclusively the responsibility of Congress and the administration is citing national defense as a way to get around that. In the past, has that been the case that the president has been able to sell it on that basis or is this an unusual kind of situation that nobody knows what to do about?
1: Well, this is – a highly unusual situation, and frankly, in the past, national security cases never went anywhere. There were a couple of cases that were filed, but the Department of Defense in particular was not that happy with it. But what happened was the Trump, when Trump got elected. And the problem he runs into is he wants to use tariffs, and he's screaming for reciprocity. And he's got a point. His point is, look, the Canadians charge us 275% tariffs on dairy exports to Canada. I personally know about a situation where British Columbia hits all export wine from Washington State or California and everywhere else. It goes into one bonded warehouse in British Columbia, and they, infect levy an 80% tariff on all wine going up to there. And the Canadian excuse other oh, provincial, they're not federal. Well, Obama took that to the WTO, and so has Trump. But that's part of the NAFTA negotiations. So there are a lot of tariffs, big tariffs up there in Canada. And so... What's happening is that he came in saying, if you listen to all of his speeches, he said, Trump says, reciprocity. Reciprocity, in a sense, means we'll do to them what they do to us. But the problem is he runs in the WTO. In the World Trade Organization, the bedrock principle of the WTO is MFN. MFN means most favored nation. Under the most favored nation clause, which is the bedrock of the WTO, If you charge your tariff to one MFN country, you have to charge the same tariff to every other MFN country. So the United States traditionally has had very low tariffs. Automobiles on, for instance, is about 2%. That's 10% in Europe and much higher than 30% in China. But to Chinese automobiles coming into the U.S., it has to levy 2% because that's its tariff. And so Trump is trying to find a way, how do I bring tariffs to single out China, or single out Canada or Mexico or the EC. Well, he stumbled on the section 232 national security stuff. Now, originally they were going to do the case in 2 months, and Wilbur Ross woke up to the fact that he was a really rushed judgment, he couldn't do it, and many of us who were watching it thought it had died, but then about a year later, all of a sudden it wakes up again, and in March is when they came out with their decision to slam everybody with tariffs under Section 232. They're talking about a new Section 232 that may come out in August against automobile imports. That's the big one. The other one that he used is Section 301. 301 traditionally has died, and it was used really before the WTO and the dispute party got going. And you would bring a case under Section 301, and that would enable the president to come out and basically retaliate against it. That was U.S. law what he wants to do is retaliate against China, et cetera, for basically intellectual property problems, et cetera. And so that's the second thing he's using to basically hit countries individually. Now, there's exceptions to the MFN principle. One is a free trade agreement. But again, what Trump's trying to argue here because of dairy and other ones that what NAFTA really is is what I call an FFTA, a fake free trade agreement. And one of the points he made when he was in G7, let's just eliminate all tariffs, all subsidies. Let's just do away with it all. But nobody wants to do that. And so that was the problem. And the United States traditionally, historically, has had very low tariffs to encourage free trade. But because of that, all these other countries took advantage of that Okay, we're going to ship at low tariffs into the U.S., but we ourselves are going to have very high tariffs.
0: When it comes to China, however, I mean, no one would disagree with the fact that China is engaged in forced technology transfer, discriminatory licensing, cyber intrusions. These things are all happening. What are the alternative avenues for relief that we could be pursuing other than what Trump is doing right now under 301? Well, that's
1: the point. He did the 301. They will go, obviously, to the WTO. But what is the remedy under the WTO? The WTO is you have a dispute settlement mechanism, which goes up the bullet. And then all the WTO can say, okay, United States, you have the right to retaliate against China for X amount. Well, mm-hmm. Trump's basically skipping that and saying, heck with it, we're going to retaliate right away with you on that 301 case. Part of the things that are going on, I think also, is you've got four principles, which I've laid down. One is the economy is going gangbusters right now. And this gives Trump cover to think he can be very tough on trade. Second, and very important, in 2017, the United States had an $800 billion trade deficit in goods with the rest of the world. biggest one was China with 375, but Europe is 117. Mexico is about 70. Canada was 17. And basically what Trump is saying, we can't sustain that any longer. The other two principles are, First, it's what Sebastian Gorka who used to work in the Trump administration shows up on Fox News all the time and talks about the speed of Trump. And Trump, if you looked at it, has done so much in a very short period of time. He reduced the taxes, cut regulations, everything. I mean, that's why the economy is going gangbusters. So he's done a lot of things, and one reason for that is I think he learned from President Obama. What Rahm Emanuel said you uh, shouldn't waste a crisis, but Obama frankly did. If you look at the first two years of his, when he first got elected, he had the House, he had a 60-seat majority in the Senate, which means he could get over a filibuster. And yet he didn't use it that well. And just before Obamacare happened, he lost the Senate seat of Kennedy to Scott Brown, a a Republican, and then he loses the House in the first midterms. Well, now then Obama's related to a, a phone and a pen, and that's what he could use. Well, Trump got into power, used his phone and pen, and it reversed everything that Obama did. But it really taught Trump a lesson. I've got limited amount of time here. So he's pushing through things a lot quicker. And I think that's part of the reason for all these fights on the trade front. Usually you would say, why don't you go battle step by step, battle by battle? And he's saying, I can't count on that because I don't know what's going to happen in Congress.
0: So the implication of what you're saying is that there is indeed method to his madness, But we haven't quite resolved whether that's the case yet or not, have we?
1: Well, no. And that's the point. (laughs) And then I think the other thing, it was – I I see if I can even give you a quote. It's a fascinating quote I ran into. The point was that Trump likes chaos. It was a quote from a guy on Fox News named Jim Hansen. He says, this brings us to the biggest wild card. President Trump brings the world stage. He's a change agent. It would even be fair to say he creates chaos and misdirection and then looks for an advantage that drives many of his critics to distraction. But when you are dealing with long-standing problems and well-entrenched interests, metaphorically knocking over a few apple carts or a conference table or two can break that deadlock. Peace through strength and fair trade are an excellent one-two punch, and they work well together. So you say, hmm. you can't play nice. You're looking at this chaos, this madness, and saying, what's going on? And it's almost like he's riding the back of a tiger, and he likes doing it that way. God, when they were attacking Trump over immigration and the children – he spoke at the National Institute of Independent Business, and he was calm as cool as could be. I couldn't do that. So he likes that.
0: But we are already seeing some potentially negative impacts from his trade policy. We right. have just heard this week that Harley Davidson is going to start producing some motorcycles in Europe because it can no longer afford to sell them from the United States. And there are other things that are cropping up. There, there are danger signs now. Are there not?
1: Oh yeah, there are, and they're big danger signs. This is why he's really in a very tough area. First on Harley, um, it's not Europe. He, they were talking about producing in Thailand. They also have supposedly plants over Suez, but they would close one plant in Kansas City and move it to Pennsylvania. Why? One of the retaliations for the Section 232 on steel, the EC, has implemented is tariffs on motorcycles into Europe. And frankly, there are more sales of Harley motorcycles in Europe now than maybe even the U.S. It's huge. Now... Trump came out today screaming and yelling because this was just an announcement made that he's going to put a tax on them if they move their production overseas. But Harley's caught between two problems. One is the retaliation by Europe against exports of Harley-Davidson motorcycles in response to the 232. And it is the 232 itself because that has raised prices for aluminum and steel, making Harley very difficult for it to compete in export markets.
0: So it's a double whammy, in effect. It's a
1: double whammy. In fact, I have Mm -hmm. a client caught in a case on cold-drawn mechanical tubing, and they've already set up production down in Mexico for all their export products because they just can't be competitive in the export markets because you've artificially raised the prices of aluminum and steel. This is what everybody's been predicting. Midcontinent Nail, which is the largest nail producer in the United States, announced that it is almost on the verge of bankruptcy because of the higher tariffs on steel and aluminum. Now, don't let me forget farm products, but I want to make a point here on exclusions. Both the Section 232 case and the 301, and also the 201 on solar, all of them have exclusion processes. In the Section 232, however, it's restricted. And there are over 10,000 exclusion requests at Commerce. How many has Commerce handled so far? Mm, maybe at most 100. And they denied half of them and granted half of them. The problem is you've got all these exclusion requests, and the 232 one steel and aluminum requests have to be made by users. They cannot be made by foreign exporters or U.S. importers. It has to be an actual user of the steel or aluminum that requests the exclusion. Now, they can make the request at any day, but commerce is taking a very own sweet time making a decision there, and it's hurting companies like Midcontinent Nail or basically— could be going out of business. This was the prediction from the Wall Street Journal, Investors, Business Daily, myself included, was what is going to be the impact of these tariffs on downstream companies.
0: Yeah, we've had that discussion before. You pointed that out very clearly in our, in our last discussion. And, in, and indeed, that is what is beginning to happen.
1: It's beginning to happen. Now, the other side of the coin, which makes it very risky for Trump, is agriculture. There was a fascinating article just two or three days ago in Politico, which I'm quoting a lot about, about the impact in Iowa. Because agriculture, in contrast to the rest of the country, farm incomes are way down. For 15 years, they haven't had an increase in farm income. And the CDC just came out that the one occupational group that has the higher rate of suicides of any in the country is farmers. They're killing themselves. And they're killing themselves because farm income is getting smashed. And it was always a problem for farmers, but now it's worse because they're so reliant on export markets so what is the big target of all the retaliation agriculture if we talk about the section 301 the chinese have come up with their retaliation list one of their biggest targets is agriculture iowa for example exports like about 10 billion in soybeans there's 14 billion total exports of u.s soybeans to china sorghum gum they just smashed the u.s on that one and that's two billion there is a lot of the products being exported to China, our agriculture, and they're smashing them. I had a list that I got from one of my friends over in the state government in Washington State, and the ports are going to be hit like to the tune of retaliation from China. It's close to five hundred million, six hundred million. About $200 million, though of that is produced, actually produced in Washington State. But cherries, mm-hmm. all these agricultural products are getting
0: smashed. Northwest ports are really relying on export agricultural products. Well, Bill, I'm sorry. We seem to be running out of time on a topic that we could be talking about for hours. But I think you've done a great job of at least sketching out a panic-stricken situation. I guess we can only hope that everyone will just take this to the brink and then suddenly drop their weapons. I don't know if that's going to happen. But maybe well, you and I can hook up again in a little bit. A while and talk about what happened. The big
1: issue in this is Lighthizer is negotiating like crazy. I mean, Trump, if you listen to any one of his, even his recent speeches on YouTube, South Carolina yesterday, we're going to have great trade agreements. So there's enormous pressure on USTR and the other agencies to come up with good trade agreements. But now you basically have credit world trade war. And you've got so much work and not enough bodies to do it. That's the other fear.
0: Well, we will have to follow this and talk again. But, uh, William Perry, thank you again for being with us and giving us a very lucid, if not terrifying, uh, portrait of what's going on in the world of international trade in this administration. Thanks again for being with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was my conversation with Attorney William Perry of harris Bricken. email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.